from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex podcast episode of the day. <laughs> no, it doesn't either. Uh, Gretchen Rosenberg on the RiderFlex podcast. How you doing, Gretchen? I'm great, Steve. Thanks for having me today. Oh, thanks for being on the show. I don't get a lot of famous Denver people on the show, so... Uh... <laughs> Really big name in real estate. It's an honor to have you here. You've been selling houses just for a little bit, huh? <laughs> yeah, about 25 years. Right. So you started when you were 17. Yeah, exactly. Uh, very good. Uh, before we get into the, all that, though, Kentwood and everything, I want to know about Gretchen personally. Give us a little family, where you grew up, mom and dad, siblings. Give us some of that if you don't mind. Yeah, it's great. So I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, which is a terrible place to be born when your parents leave there at nine months, because I do not know how to spell my place of birth on any form that's ever presented to me. But we moved to Southern California when I was nine months old, and that's where I grew up. So I was uh, really a, a beach kid. We sailed, we played beach volleyball, we skied up at Mammoth. We, it was a, a pretty cool time and place to grow up. Southern California in the 70s wasn't, wasn't bad. And I decided I wanted to ski for four years. So I came out to Colorado. I went to the University of Denver thinking, it's cool, I'll ski for four years and I'll go back to California and you know how life is. So I, I stayed went, in Denver. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you went, to, not only did you go to DU, but you got your master's there too, right? Correct, I did, yep. I like being say- a student. When, when you say Southern California, you uh, you talking San Diego or whereabouts? So Laguna Beach and Riverside were the two places that we lived. You don't happen to know an awesome Mexican restaurant between Newport and Laguna called Javier's. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I've been there millions of times. Been to Javier's lots of times. Um, my parents my... are actually still out there. Oh, they are? They still live there? What'd your folks do? So my dad was a, uh, an ophthalmologist, an eye surgeon, and my mother owned a children's bookstore. Really? Interesting. Okay. Uh, so neither one of them were in real estate. Where'd the, uh, where'd the interest with real estate, how'd that come about? Talk to us about, you know, when you were going to DU, did you think you were going to be in real estate? Talk to us about that transition a little bit. Now, when I went to DU, I thought I was going to solve the international trade deficit. And I, I got my bachelor's degree in international studies and public affairs. And then I went back and got a master's in business and marketing. And I worked in a lot of different industries, but mainly in marketing and advertising. And then I went through a divorce. And um, so that's, that was a tough time. My son was 18 months old. That was 25 years ago. And I had to figure out how to pivot, to use a frequently used word. I was married and in the family business. So I basically lost my house, my job, and my marriage all within months. And I was a single mom to an 18-month-old. And I had to say, like, what am I going to do? How am I going to support myself? And I don't want to be dropping Joe off at daycare at 7 a.m. or 7.30 a.m. and picking him up at six o'clock every single day, how can I make a good living and have flexibility? Hmm. Even though in real estate you work weekends and evenings, I also knew I would be able to go be on field trips and you know take a day off and go be a room mom if I wanted. So that's kind of how I landed on it. 
And also I had a business background and my dad was always interested in architecture. So he kind of gave me a love of, of architecture and design. Mm, I see. Okay. So you uh, went and started studying for your, your license or whatever. <laughs> You're like, okay, I'm going to be a real estate agent. How did you decide who you wanted to work for or where to hang your shingle? The first two years I hung my shingle with my former real estate agent, my broker. So I called him and I said, Hey Mike, I'm going to get my license. Will you train me how to do this? And he said, okay. And it was just him. He had a real small brokerage. So I, it really benefited me to be under the tutelage of the owner and the main broker. Mm. And for two years, it was phenomenal. And then it wasn't because I needed colleagues. I needed a marketing team. I needed a website back then they were just starting websites and he was such a small little shop. He was still printing off the MLS sheets and kind of making that the flyer. <laughs> gotcha. So you started looking around, you started thinking I need to join a bigger firm. How did you decide where to go? I, you know, this is a really important thing. A message for all of your, your listeners is network. Just call people, be fearless. So I started calling people that I knew at other brokerages and said, where would you go? I called title company reps. Do you know which is the best firm? I called other uh, brokers that I had done deals with. And I settled on a company that's not here anymore, but it was well known in Colorado for years. It was called Morin Company. Okay. And that's where I ended up. And how many years were you there? I was not there long. They sold 10 months later. They sold to Caldwell Banker and I just was a part of the group in the off. I was in the Cherry Creek office in central Denver and that whole office basically left. We did not want to be a part of a large national franchise. And so we founded, we were the founding brokers of the Kentwood Cherry Creek office. Oh, I did not know that about your background. Okay. So you were a founding broker, broker of that office. Didn't know that. Okay. Okay. That's a big deal. Oh, wow. Congratulations. All right. I, no, I wasn't no, I was no, no, I wasn't an owner. I was one of the agents that jumped over there. Oh, so I we see. Were, I see. I say, okay, gotcha. All right. I'm glad you clarified that. I was thinking, wait a minute. Wow. Okay. But still you were one of the agents that when it, when it got founded. Okay. Very good. Now, when that happened right at that turning point, like how many homes had you sold up to that point? What do you think? I mean, just take a guess. 10, I don't know, 20. It had, it had been about two years. No, probably 20 to 30. It had been about to well at that point almost three years in the business okay. and i was probably doing six to ten homes a year maybe and when you got and when you guys did that how many agents did they have to start off with well kentwood real estate or kentwood the kentwood company back then had the tech center office and in fact this is our 40th year as kentwood so the tech center office was the only office and then we 33 out of 35 of us at Moore Cherry Creek, jumped over and founded Kentwood Cherry Creek. So we started right off the bat with 33 agents. Mm, I see. Okay, very good. Now at this time, so now are you still a single mom at this point in your in your life? I am. I, am. I do have a very lovely significant other. He's wonderful. Uh, now, now you do. But when this happened with Kentwood, you were still on your own. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, did you have aspirations at that point? Were you thinking? I don't want to sell homes my whole life. I eventually want to be an executive, an administrator, an operator. Did you have those aspirations? Talk to me about that. That's a really great question because I didn't right off the bat. But maybe five years later, I started to think I can do management. 
And it's not easy for a real estate agent or a real estate broker to jump into management, as you know. That's it's right. It's a different skill set. Uh, I felt like I probably could manage it. And so I voiced that to the owners of our office and said, I want to be a manager someday. Really? Okay what, you, okay. what year was that? You remember? Uh, um, 3, 11, 15, 20 years ago. Maybe 20 years ago. And did yes. they have layers of management? I guess the team was big enough. Did they have layers of management or was it just a bunch of agents and the owners or how, how what was the setup? <laughs> there were not layers. And uh -huh. so what they said is we don't have any plans to go anywhere right now, but please don't leave Kentwood. And I said, well, I don't want to leave Kentwood. I love this company, but keep me in mind. And it took about five years before I could get into management. And I just kind of envisioned it. I, I envisioned what my sales meetings were going to be like. I used to go to spin class and spin and practice my sales meetings in my head. So for five years, I had this idea, like, this is what it's going to look like when I, when I get to run an office. And I just kept telling him, I want to do it. And when one of you retires. And, and okay. And that was that the, you were thinking, okay, these guys are older guys, girls, whoever they were. I don't know who the founders were, but they're getting older. You're thinking they're not going to want to be here forever. Somebody's going to have to run this. Yep. Okay. That now, was just Greek office. Okay, just the Cherry Creek office. Is this before Berkshire Hathaway? Is this before that whole thing? Okay. All right. When did that happen, by the way? What, when, what year did that happen when, when Berkshire Hathaway purchased it? Or That was 2016. Oh, that was not that long ago. Okay. Uh, all right. So, all right. So, you're anyway, you're working your way towards saying, I want to be in charge of the Cherry Creek office, basically. Now, right. so talk to me about when that happened. Did they say, okay, we're ready to retire. You're, you're, congratulations, you're president. Was there like a transition period or were they like, yeah, here you go? <laughs> well, I was the managing broker in Cherry Creek for 11 years. And okay. I only took over as CEO. In some respects, it feels like a lifetime ago. And in some respects, it feels like yesterday. It was, it's been three years this month that I've been CEO of the whole company. But for 11 years, I managed the Cherry Creek office. And the way they man the, the way they determined it would happen was our managing broker at the time, Chris Valetich, who may he rest in peace, was the most amazing human being. He was lovely. Mm. And he decided it was time for him to step out of management and just stay in sales, which is what a lot of real estate managers do. They say, I can't do the whole management thing, but I want to stay in real estate. So that's what he did. He stayed in our office. And we did kind of a six month ramp up of me and a six month ramp down of Chris. And so I learned under him how he was running the office. And right as I took over, the owner sold the company. And I really to, almost lost my job. To who'd they sell to, Berkshire? No, they sold it to Bill Moore and Peter Niederman who had been the owners of Moore and Company and circled back around about 10 years later and bought Kentwood. Wow. And when you say bought Kentwood, that includes all the offices or whatever. That was all the offices. And each office had like a captain uh, and so forth, kind of like you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. And were you thinking, oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if this is good or not. <laughs> it turned out great, but it was tough for about a year. Uh, then what happened? Then, so then what happened? Yeah. Did they did they leave you in charge of that office or what did they do? Did they try to restructure things? No, they left me in charge of the office and Peter Niederman ran the company for nine years. And he was such a great teacher and tutor. That's another thing. 
everyone should really look for are people that can help you in your career that you mm. can just watch, mentor. Mm. And he mm. was a really active mentor. And so after about five years, six years of owning the company, he came to me privately one day and he said, if anything happens to me, I've told my wife that she needs to call you and you're going to be the one to run the company, but I don't want to make it public, not going to make an announcement. And then he started kind of bringing me along to conferences and teaching me. And nice. about four years later, he, or yeah, he sold the company to Home Services of America, which is Berkshire Hathaway. And he stayed on as CEO for a year and a half and then said, okay, I'm out. And then when he said he's out, he said, when he said he was out, he looked at his captains of these offices and said, Gretchen's in charge. Did that make, how, how did that go over with the, everybody else, the other offices, the other leaders, did, were there other people jockeying for position because they wanted to be CEO? No, no. No, no. You know, one thing about our management team is we're really honest and open and transparent with one another. So I don't think anybody knew when for sure it was going to happen, but I don't think anybody thought there would be anybody else. Really? Okay. All right. So there was no major competition there for you necessarily. At least that's what you think. Secretly, they're going to listen to this podcast and say, damn it, I wanted that job. <laughs> uh, it's way harder than it looks from the outside. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So now you're in charge of the whole thing. How many agents? So I'm guessing it's, it's a mix of agents who are, I guess, technically independent contractors. And then you also have employees. It's a mix. Why don't you give us the size of the organization? We've got uh, just over 300 total people. We have 240 agents. And we have about 45 staff. 45 staff. Okay. Now has Warren Buffett come, come to your office and said, Hey man, you need to do this and that. No, seriously. Have you got it? You haven't met him. Have you? No, you know what? I, I could have, I could have gone to the Berkshire Hathaway um, shareholders meeting the last couple of Mays. And I kept thinking I should do it. I should do it. Then I had another conference one year. And, and then this year it was canceled because of COVID. Yeah. So. I'm running out of time, I, I fear. I don't know how much left to meet Warren Buffett. But I hear he's really a wonderful person and everyone who does interact with him. Um, uh, he's, he's, I know one thing for sure, he's a straight shooter. He does not, he does not mince words. I mean, you ask him a question, he's going to give you an answer. Boom, right? right. <laughs> earned that right. Yes, no doubt about it. Okay, uh, so talk to us a little bit about the transition you went through being an independent contractor doing your own thing selling houses yeah you got to follow certain processes and stuff for the brokerage but really you're kind of your own boss right and now all of a sudden you're a manager trying to manage these wild stallions these wild mustangs <laughs> that's what i call independent contractors because they're all you know they're all kind of do, doing their own thing and so many agents are agents because they want to be their own boss, kind of, right? Like that's that's why they got into the business. Yeah. Uh, at, least, at least the ones I know, like, yeah, they have to hang their shingle somewhere. Okay, I'm going to be a Century 21 agent or I'm going to be, you know, Keller Williams agent, whatever. But, but really, they just want to do their own thing, most of them. How do you, talk to me about two things, how you transitioned into that and then What's life like managing these people? What's life like managing what you used to be? <laughs> <laughs> I was an easy one. Um, how I transitioned, but the first thing I really feel like I did was I listened to people. 
I called people, I talked to people, every single person in the company has my cell phone mm. and don't hesitate to use it. But I, I feel like that's the only way I could personally run an organization is if top down, we're all, I, I, I mean, I feel like it's, we're, we're flat, you know, I just have a job to do. I'm not above, I might be in terms of what my title is, but in terms of how the organization is run, we all just have jobs to do. And as long as we're all executing at the highest level, our company is going to be successful. And so what I first did was just try to really listen to people. I did want to put my own stamp on it. I run things quite differently than Peter did. Probably a little more collaborative. Um, we were a little more siloed. He was really involved in every single silo, but the management team wasn't together as much as I've put them together. So that's a difference that I saw I wanted to do. And I've, and I've done. And um, how do you manage independent contractors? It's really fun and it's really challenging. They are, <laughs> they are great at what we, they do. And Kentwood brokers in particular are the highest caliber. We don't have brokers that are part-time teachers or part-time uh, gotcha. waiters, bartenders. They're all 100% full-time professional experienced. We're not a training ground kind of company. And uh, so that in some respects makes it easier because mm -hmm. they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And in some respects, it makes it harder because they're really demanding. <laughs> I always, the best real estate agents. And when I, I guess let's define best, right? I guess the ones that closed, sold the most homes, the ones that had the most sales usually were the hardest to handle because they're super cocky and they're just like, Hey, I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think our people are cocky. I wouldn't say that as much as I would say they're confident and they know what they need to be successful. And they expect Humble. the company to provide it. Humbly confident. I had a Navy SEAL tell me that one time. Humbly confident. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so what makes a great agent besides listening, which you already brought up, what makes a great agent? You have to show up every day mm. and work. And if you're waiting for the phone to ring, you just aren't going to be able to, to cut it long-term. The best agents are the ones that give superior customer service to their clients. And they know how to stay in touch with people in their sphere of influence, in their community, and remain engaged without being pushy and salesy, but just to be a resource and as long as you're constantly in front of people, you're filling your pipeline. Mm. You know, let me, all right, I'm glad you just said that because I want to share this with you. So I was looking for some real estate up near Redfeather. Um, I go up to the Northwestern part, well, kind of Northwest part of the state a lot for camping and uh, recreation. And so I wanted some land up there um, to use. And so I go on the internet, I'm looking for some land for sale, you know, in that area. Uh, I find something, Zillow pops up on a search, not that I'm, I wanted to use Zillow, I just, when I, when I typed it in, this is what popped up. Okay, here's some acreage, I, it popped up, I click on the thing, it connects me to an agent. I said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm looking for some acreage up in this area. I tell him what the area, I'm like, I don't know, 100 grand or so I want to spend on some, some land. And uh, this is my area and this property popped up. And so he's like, okay, yeah. And he sends me something on this particular piece of property. 
And I said, cool, thanks for sending me this one thing. By the way, here's the map of the area I'm looking at. Send me all kinds of stuff that is in this area in this price range. That was a week ago. <laughs> Have I heard back from him? Has he called me? Has he done any kind of follow-up? Anything? Nothing. And I was telling my wife, I'm like, God, you know, you just you just show up. Like, just, just follow up. I like a simple follow-up call. Like, I told the guy I was ready to buy some land. If he would have just called me on a few options, we could... Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm just venting. <laughs> That's okay. I have a Fort Collins office. We can help you. <laughs> there, right? I should have called you. Now I know. Now we're now I'm can I can just say, hey, look, I know Gretchen personally, so you have to take care of me. Not that they wouldn't take care of me already, but they would. They would take great care of you. That's such a nice place to chop down Christmas trees. So if you get some land up there, I'll come up and I'll chop down my tree on your land. It, it's funny you I'll mentioned help. that. It's, it's it's little stuff like that. Yeah, I wanna I want a little piece of property where we can just play around and maybe do some camping and be near other forest land and stuff and uh, park park some recreational vehicles where I'm already up there. Does that make sense? Anyway, not to bore you with my personal goals, but <laughs> the point is, so many real estate agents. I'm not talking about Kentwood real estate agents, but so many real estate agents agents they're just not good, Gretchen. They're just they just don't they just don't follow up. Yeah. yeah, and if they're not good at following up, they're not good in a transaction either. Right, that's your, that's that's the sign. That's your sign right there. You really think they're going to take care of you, care of you if you can't even depend on, depend on them to call you back? And you know, so many of our brokers at our company end up having to really kind of work the whole transaction. You know, they're they're representing one side or the other, but they're dealing with a less than professional broker from another firm, and it's not universally like this. There are many firms with outstanding brokers and we all know who they are and then there are others where they're just not quite they don't stay educated they don't stay on top of it they don't understand what their role is and so they induce drama just to be the one that solves the problem then and that doesn't help things so many times our agents are the ones kind of having to shepherd the whole thing along mm -hmm. just to keep the end result which is what the buyer and seller want a culmination of a transaction that's happen. right. That's right. Speaking of shepherding things along, I always found it fascinating how the a good agent will help the buyer and seller do the dance and get on the dance floor and waltz and it's going to be okay and let's all just get along and I know you have an ego and you have an ego but it's, it's all going to work out. <laughs> a good agent makes sure that all goes smooth. Um, can I ask you a couple of specific questions uh, around commercial real estate? Because Kentwood does commercial, right? You have a commercial division or whatever you call it. I don't, um, man, is this like a, is this, is this gotta be a scary time for commercial real estate, isn't it? Kinda, I mean, I know you're gonna give me all the right answers. You're gonna speak positively and tell me, you know, I mean, I'm just, I don't know. I'm like, okay, nobody's going to offices. I see a lot of, for lease signs, commercial real estate. See a lot. I'm like, oof, oh, I don't know if I'd want to be in commercial real estate. Talk to me, Gretchen. What's the story? So there's so many different types of commercial real estate. So if you're going to talk commercial, we've really got to dive into, are you talking industrial, retail, restaurant, mm -hmm. office, mm -hmm. warehouse? Some mm -hmm. of these are doing really well. Industrial and warehouse are doing great. I mean, there's Amazon getting thousands and thousands of square feet for That's their staging good. and other corporations like that. And we actually did the largest office lease last year in Denver. Uh, our 
commercial brokers did. And that wow. was two full floors in the new Bellevue station area in a brand new building. And that was a healthcare company. So healthcare wow. company is wow. right now. Wow. But yes, you're right, Steve. In terms of in general office space, there's so much sublease space on right now. It's tremendous. So if you're a company that needs to get out of your lease and you're trying to sublease, you're you've, you're facing some competition. Will we eventually see? This is kind of crazy. I'm really stretching it here, but just for interesting conversation, will we eventually see skyscrapers turned into housing units instead of cubicle office space? What what are your what are your thoughts? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Where do you see? You know what? You, go ahead. A lot of companies are finding that work from home has worked okay. I mean, okay. we're doing a lot of work from home, but they miss the collaboration. They're not getting those side hallway conversations in. They're not, they're not iterating and they're not coming up with new ideas. And so many of the companies are saying to us, we will be back in the office at some point, or we'll have a hybrid kind of work from home office. I don't see offices going away entirely, but it's probably going to take a couple of years before we're really back in. I see a hybrid model too. I, I agree. I, I see something like that or more little, just a little more flexibility than there used to be you know, some of the old school CEOs and stuff are like, Oh my God, if I don't see the person sitting in the chair, they must not be working. I think some of that. Is, Oprah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's too easy to measure productivity these days. You know, whether or not they're producing or not for the most part and most, most of them. Uh, so I think uh, ah, it's probably some sort of a hybrid, uh, you know, even RiderFlex as a recruiting firm, we're 100% remote and we have been for four years but there are times when I'm like, I kind of wish Scott was in the office today, you know, or I wish I was in the office with Kelly and Brianna today. There are times when I want to get out of the house and, you know, the, the office at home is kind of getting on my nerves and uh, there are, yeah. And I wish that we had a satellite office. There are times when I'm like, I kind of wish we had a satellite office today. This place is getting on my nerves. I have some space I can sublease you. <laughs> yeah, you're the person to talk to, right? Uh, okay. Um, okay, I was wondering how you felt about uh, yeah office space in general and that whole that whole thing. Um, so I appreciate the positive spirit around that. I do think I do think people want to be out more than they have been. That's for sure. I mean, we are social creatures, right? We do want to be around each other, don't we? we I do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, not only just get together in an office, but my gosh, I'd be glad when I can go to happy hour with my friends. Like I need that. I, that's what I was telling somebody the other day. I'm like, holy shit. I really, I need, I, I gotta go. I mean, I love my wife and everything, but I need to get out of here. <laughs> uh, um, how about the housing market in general for residential? Let me ask you that kind of last main topic before some life advice. Where, where are we at? I mean, is this, should I be buying, selling? If, if you know, where, where are we at? Residential. Give me the outlook. We have a crisis of inventory and it's been tight. Our inventory has been tight for years, five years at least. And this year it's the worst it's been. We ended December with 2,500, 2,541 to be exact, active listings on the market. This does not include new construction. This is just in the MLS. Wow. 2,541 and Denver is a city of 2.8 million people. Total? Like what is that? What, what area? Like what is that map? Is that Colorado or what is that? 
That's the 11 Metro County region. Wow. Holy cow. Denver. Yeah. So does that mean I so, should be selling? Does that mean you should be selling? <laughs> we need to sell, please. You okay. know, it's like this conundrum that's been going on. The sellers are saying, the homeowners are saying, I don't have anything to find. I don't have, I can't, I, there's no houses out there for me to look at. So I'm not going to sell. And I'm saying, if all y'all would put your houses on the market, you would find houses. But it's this conundrum that we can't seem to solve for. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, maybe I should be selling right now. By the way, I just heard you use the, the word y'all and you're not from the South. So there must be somebody in your office or somebody you're close to that you're hanging around that's using that word. <laughs> I don't know, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay. So now's the time to sell. If you're thinking about selling, now is a good time. You're going to get whatever you want for your house. Well, I don't know if you'll get whatever you want, but you, you're going to get a good price for your home right now. You will. You will. If, as long as you're realistic. And there's this perceived loss of value if you stay in the MLS too long. So the sellers that are getting greedy or say tack 10 or 20% on the last sale in my neighborhood or my house is the best house and even though it needs renovations and the other ones were already updated, you know, those people's houses are still languishing. But for the most part, homes are selling in days in less than a week. Wow. It, what's the smart thing to do when it comes to improvements before you sell? I've heard so many different uh, opinions on this. You know, some people are like, look, if it's selling for this price in this neighborhood, if it's a three bedroom, two bath, this is what it's going to sell for. I don't care if you got fresh paint in the bathroom or not. What, what are your thoughts on all that? I tend to disagree. Okay. And I think it's kind of the HGTV effect. So what buyers want right now is they want it to look like what they saw on House Hunters International or Property Brothers or something where they fixed it up and or love it or list it. You know, they want it to look like what they saw on TV. They mm -hmm. don't want to do the work mm -hmm. for the most part. I mean, this is obviously a mass generalization, but for the most part, they don't want to do the work. They want it done. And so those are the houses that are selling the quickest and for the most money. But am I going to get my money back though? Like if I really spend money on my basement that needs to be remodeled, am I really going to get that back? Basement, maybe not so much. You know, maybe you just paint it and carpet it. Basement's okay. probably the least valuable place in the house. And an appraiser accounts for a basement at 50% or less of what above grade square footage would be value-wise. Great tip for the listeners. Appreciate you sharing that. Okay, thank you very much. I will remember that next time my wife gives me a hard time about remodeling the basement. <laughs> uh, okay, very good. Thank you for sharing all of that. So now kind of wrapping up here, just two, a couple more questions. First of all, you've had a great career as, a, as an agent, as a manager, as an executive. Congratulations. Nice career. Speaking of those TV shows, you know, you got a face for TV. You should probably, you should probably do like a reality TV show yourself. I mean, has anybody ever approached you with that? I, you'd be great. You'd be great. Maybe this podcast, by the way, if this podcast spins you into some sort of TV show, don't forget about Riderflex because you'll have to like do something for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great career, really awesome. Congratulations. If you had to look back now, though, if you could call the, let's see, when you got your MBA, you were probably what, 23 or something? I don't know, 24? I was like probably 27. Oh, okay. If you could call your 27 year old self, getting the MBA and give her any advice, knowing what you know now, what would you tell her? 
I would tell her, do exactly what you did. <laughs> Nothing different. Uh, you wouldn't tweak anything. Maybe um, not get, no, maybe not, didn't not get married the first time. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. That's true. Uh, choose better in your personal life might be something, but, um, yeah, so that is some advice I would give myself. I, I would say though, career-wise, it is so important to learn always be a student. I'm constantly reading or listening to podcasts. Right now I'm reading the Oxford Handbook of Positive Psychology, which weighs about two pounds. I can't prop it up on my lap in bed at night. But wow. um, you, you just, you have to stay engaged. You can't think you know everything. And you need to find mentors, someone mm -hmm who's either a lateral mentor or an above you mentor, but someone who will help you. Mm, really good advice. That's really good advice, especially for overconfident uh, agents who think they might know everything, right? Make sure you're listening, open your ears. Um, how about this last question? What is your core purpose in life right now? If you had to put that into a sentence, what would it sound like? I feel like staying really engaged in my community. And I don't just mean my community um, in terms of Denver, although I am engaged. In fact, just before I got on with you, I was on a board of directors meeting for Homemade Colorado, which is an organization I'm really passionate about. And we build and provide housing for the homeless. So being engaged in the community that way, but also being really engaged in my Kentwood community and my company's community. So I feel like what gets me up in the morning and gets me motivated is just the desire to show up, make a difference. You know, it's amazing. I'm always telling my grown sons, I'm like, look, if you work really hard, if you have decent people skills and decent communication skills, you'll be amazed at what that can do because so many people just, <laughs> they don't have those basics, right? They, they don't kick ass or they have poor people skills it really is not rocket science. And, you know, depending on what you're doing, unless you are a rocket scientist, right? If you'll just show up and just get up and work hard, you're going to be ahead of 60% of the people out there because there's a lot of lazy people out there. I hate to, you know, bucket them that way, but yeah, if you'll just get up and work hard every day, you're going to be so far ahead. You're going to be doing great things for yourself. <laughs> Steve. Thank you. Gretchen, thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast. I really appreciate it. I do. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviewing. You can visit RiderFlex.com to learn more about us and get information and pricing on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.